I of Raw presents. Yo, yo, hello, and welcome to I of Raw presents. I'm your host, Lyrica. On the phone I right now, Eric X, the uncomfortable musician and MC, the heavyweight champion since 1990. <laughs> Eric. Yes, you, you, yes. You've you, you, you been like my buddy and one of my most admirable people since showing high school Pittsburgh PA. Can you tell me the steps that you took? For young people that are out there right now that may be in high school or middle school, because I'm not sure when you started. Matter of fact, let me just let you tell your story. Take us from Eric at the the, the, uh, the progeny to, to where you are today, if you can, in a few short, short uh, minutes. And if we have to extend it to podcast number two, we will. But go ahead, you got the mic. Okay, Lyrica, first of all, I, I want to say um, I'm proud to be your friend. I'm a big fan of yours, too. You know, um, you're most that talented yourself. I, you know, I, I was a huge fan of yours. I saw you perform. So that, that, that's, you know, I wanted to let the world know that. Um, I started, you're welcome, dear. Um, I started playing music at age four. And um, I started, my mother wow. noticed, my mother noticed that I could play, uh, I had a toy piano and I was playing some chords on it. It was a little J-Mar toy piano. And my mom ended up buying me a synthesizer and a reel-to-reel. And I would sing and play, yes, and I would sing and play behind Frankie Beverly and Maze and Stevie Wonder. And I, and, um, I, I had the reel-to-reel and synthesizer for maybe about two years. And, and you know, my sister's still Kool-Aid in it. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I, um, but music has always been my, my, my life. A motivating factor, my escape from the evils of the world and, and the cruelties of the world. Um, I um, when when hip hop first arrived on the scene, you still there? Yep, I'm right here, babe. Okay, when when hip hop first came on the scene, um, I wasn't a big fan of it at first, you know. Um. Some of the records were, because cause when I listen to music, I search for melody. Some of the okay. early hip-hop records didn't have much melody to me, because I grew up listening to Roy Ayers and Stevie Wonder and Patrice Russian and Tina Marie and Rick James, and, you know, they, and, they yeah. have, and they all have melodic structures in their music, so but some of the rap records, it wasn't, it was like, it's basically a drum machine and minimal synthesizer sound, but it wasn't no strong melody because me growing up listening to what I was listening to and so uh, okay. while rap was beginning to be popular I decided I wanted to be a rock musician so you know I picked up a bass guitar learned how to play it some I could strum a few chords on, on, on a guitar or whatever but you know I just I just was just fooling around with music just, just trying to learn to play as many instruments as I can and playing the drums as well um, what really piqued my interest in hip hop was that turned 13 going on 14. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, that was a pivotal age for, for most of us. I remember I started cutting up in class at church. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to be the class clown, so yeah. But continue, I'll start to interrupt that. Oh, no, 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 that's fine, that's fine. Um, I, um, there was, there was, there was a, there was a couple of records that I heard that made me want to do hip hop. Um, there was a few records, um, there was the Beastie Boys License to Ill, and there was like, yeah, that was dope. Right, right, and then there was, there was, there was Cool, cool Mo D had researched as a formidable yeah, MC, yeah. cause, cause his time, his, his time, he started rapping like in 78, 79. And then he, he bounced back. He was one of the few rappers from the old school who was able to have like a good 10, 15 year run, you know. And, um, and, um, I heard him and I always liked him. And then there was like, there was two other, there was two other records. A BDP, you know, Boogie Down Production. Yes, of course. And, and then there was Eric B and Rock Him. And those records, um, Eric B and Rockham, I heard the first song I ever heard from them two was, uh, was, uh, Eric B is President. Uh huh. And, and um, th- th- and this goes back to when it piqued my interest because the beats became harder and sampling came into, into the form. Of music. Now, I, I, I don't want to interrupt you, but you brought up an excellent point when you you, you brought up sampling. Sampling changed the art form on the map all across the world. Like, you could take uh, eight words of Roy Air and just flip and hook that up any way you want to and make it just sound brand new. And it brought not only admiration and, and uh, promotion to the new artists, but it also took a look back in the past of where we came from, and how hard, and, and actually music is a struggle, would you agree? Well, yeah, yeah, well, well, as far as sampling, I'm a, I'm a musician, I'm a musician anyway, but I look at sampling as an art form because I was a DJ as well. Okay. Um, I like the fact that I could take a piece of a record that I liked because, you know, when I was growing up, you know, my mother played James Brown, You Better Think About It, and, you know, Papa's Got a Brand New Bag, and uh, Hot Pants, and Escapism, you know, all those jams by James Brown, my mom played them all, and the fact that you could take a piece of a record that you like, say like, the, you know, the guitar player plays a chord that you like, you could take that piece and replay it in the way that you want to and turn it into something else that's creativity sampling is an art and it is is a musical art form now you know um, when Molly Maul came up with his early records um, you know when he did his early records with MC Shan and Big Daddy Kane Molly Maul was only (laughs) right right Roxanne Shantae one of the dopest female MCs ever uh, when he came out with them, because Molly Maul had such a big roster, I'd be here all day talking about it. But, uh, and, and all, and all, and the entire roster, including Roxanne Shantae, they were all formidable MCs. They all could hold their own, you know. Um, um, Molly Maul would take two bars of a record 
and make it sound hot. Just two bars. Uh-huh. Two bars on the As a matter of fact, uh, Papa Don't Take No Mess, which was a sample for Bismarck's Vapors. When I heard that, the way Molly Maul did that, it was two bars. When I heard that, I lost my mind. <laughs> you know, and then... When I heard Eric B. and Rock Kim's paid in full, they were they were sampling everything from James Brown and Bobby Burns to they was replaying bass lines from Barry White, you know. Uh-huh. And um, as a matter of fact, move the crowd was move the crowd. The keyboard was played by Rock Kim's brother, uh, Stevie Glass Griffin. It was a it was a replay of um. Uh, Return to Forever's uh, uh, Flight of the Newborn, Chick Corea. Yeah, it was a replay of the sample. It was a jazz record. See, my uncle had me listen to, you know, avant garde jazz and jazz fusion and like Weather Report. I and, know that. Right, Weather Report, Chick Corea, Return to Forever, Stanley Clark and them. They, you know, those records. I listened to those records growing up, and they had kind of like a weird sound, which I liked. I liked that they didn't sound like mainstream radio, you know, uh-huh. so the mainstream stuff, you know, because I liked a lot of commercial hits, but I liked the album cuts. I was to the cuts everybody getting weird or they wouldn't mess with because it wasn't popping on the radio, because I'm not just an average music fan. I'm serious about what I do and what I'm into, you know. So, uh-huh. so yeah, so, so yeah, so like when sampling came into t- to play, um, I had a bigger appreciation for hip hop. You know, Molly Maul was one of the innovators of sampling, because a lot of you know, because Curtis Blow and them in '85 and all that, they wasn't sampling as much. You know what I mean? They was using you know, okay. the, they, they was using the, the um. The emulator, uh, the EMU emulator keyboards, and they was using, um, the Sinclavier's, and they were using, like, the uh-huh. Lindgren machines, and they were using, like, the synthesizers, the Roland Juno 106s, the, the Auburn and all of that. And so when sampling came into play, you know, it changed the whole game, you know, but, okay. but you, but if you sample, if you sample like 30 seconds of an artist, you gotta pay them. I feel as though you have to pay them. Right. But I feel as though if you, if you sample, if you sample a piece here or, or, or a three second, or a three second loop or something like that, I don't think it's that, that serious. But I would still give them credit though, you know. Um, right, I always do that, yeah. Sampling, um, made me more interested. Cause, um, by the time uh, Public Enemy It Takes the Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back, that album changed my life in terms of the message, the sampling, the production, the interludes. That was the first time a rap album had interludes. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you said it. Yeah. yeah. That, changed the whole, that changed the game in a lot of ways. That changed, changed, changed the game, so... You know, you know, because rap albums didn't have interludes and stuff like that before that. But Eric B. and Rakim paid in full. That that record was the trend setting because 
like I said, the, the, the sampling, you know, um, you know, and I, and I was a big James Brown fan, so I, me and my friends would love to go search for that James Brown groove that uh, we couldn't find, you know, that nobody used yet, you know, at the time. Uh-huh. Um, um, back when I was, um, let's see, in 19, let's see, can I continue? I'm sorry, I don't talk too much. Yes, you, you, you can. We're going to run this... Uh like I said, I'm, I'm cutting this twice, and so I'm trying to just interject this here for my own notation. We're going to run this for about another 10 minutes so I can check it and see what the sound quality sounds like and see what we need to make changes. Because I don't want to waste none of your genius. So, yeah, go ahead and continue, because if this is all good, I'm using mostly all this for the first podcast. And not only that, but I'm going to explain off another topic, which is sampling. Which you know so much about that it's its own podcast and a few series. So I have a okay. lot of material here with you. So yeah, so keep keep going. We're, we're gonna go another ten minutes. Uh, uh, I'll let you know. Okay. Well, I, I'm I'm gonna try to wrap it up real quick. Um, after um, you know, me and my my my, my best friend Antoine Manson, I, I met him in 1984 when I moved up or up or some on the hill. You know, um. Him and I played in little bands back and forth. Um, but in 87, late 87, I met Ray Rhythm Wilson. And, Ray uh, Rhythm Wilson. Right, Ray Rhythm. They called him Rhythm That's Boy, now they call him. Right, right, right. Well, this, well, this yeah. has a lot to, this has a lot to do with my, my rapping. Okay. This has a lot to do with my, 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 my rock and uh, my rap. I don't know if you want to call it a career, but I met Ray. I met You're Ray. You damn Wilson. right, it's a career. I'm sorry, we'll cut. Okay. I'm not going to be in there. That, that's okay. Be in there. That, 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 that's okay. That's okay, honey. So I met I met Ray Wilson in late 1987, and um, Ray Ray and I were both musicians. Ray was a drummer. Okay. Okay. And uh, and uh, Ray Ray could play percussion and drums. Me, I was playing keyboards, bass, drums, and whatever. And so we decided to start rapping together. So we uh, okay. we put we put all of our Casio keyboards together. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, I'm just imagining like the ingenuity that we had as kids on right. some studio stuff. Right. That is brilliant. Right. And I'ma tell you, we put all our Casio keyboards together and um I had a little Casio sampler. This was the beginning of, of my rap uh my, my rap career. Um like, like I said, late nineteen eighty seven I met uh Ray Wilson. Okay. And uh we put all of our Casio keyboards together. Ray stepdad was a garbage man, God rest his soul, Alice Williams. He was a, a garbage man, and he used to bring home from us good garbage. We would have four or five tape decks, Gemini mixers, two or three Gemini mixers, amplifiers, pieces of speakers, turntables. He would bring home all the stuff for us, right? Okay. And, um... So I had a little uh, 
Casio keyboard, a little Casio SK1. And um, so I was the main one who sampled out of a tube. Ray would mainly program the drums. So what I would do, so what we would do, before we got a four track, we would do bar tapes like they did back in the day. We we sound we would we loop up break beats and play keyboards behind them and sample behind them. And we would layer stuff by using multiple tape decks. Okay. That was our track machine. Okay. You know? And we had the cheap little black mic that you use for a portable tape recorder. We put a sock over them so you wouldn't hear all the dad parts of our list and everything and when we would record and uh our equipment started to come up okay um already got some big amplifier speakers some real big ones and we would use them for shows and uh we we got acquired uh at least his hr16b drum machine and we got some more equipment okay and 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 then we, uh, then we acquired, we eventually, in late 89, early 90, we acquired a, a, a four track. But I know, I, I know we got a four track with the help of, uh, the singer Larry T. Ellis. And, um, Ray and I was making beats. We made a couple of demo tapes and all that. And, um, you know, we was just putting out tapes for fun. We was doing some X-rated tapes and everything too. And um, okay, and we and, and um, we was popular. We was popular. We was getting popular all around the city. And so, uh, in, so around this time, Ray's brother, Ray Rhythm's brother, Jarrell, he he came home from the service. He was our manager. He was all of our big brother. He would drive us where we had to go. He fed us. He looked out for us. The older, if the older guys tried to mess with us in the street, he had our back. Right. You know, right. And Jarrell, Jarrell, I still love, so he's still our, our big brother, you know. And me and Ray Rhythm was just, you know, we, we just kept on making music. Okay. And, uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of times Ray produced stuff by himself. Sometimes I did his tracks by myself, all in his room, all in his studio, and um, uh-huh. and um, that's we we kept on we kept at it. Then we did the Shimley Talent Show in 1990. Uh huh. Hey. Hey. Uh-huh. I graduated that year. Was it before, or after I graduated? Because I don't remember seeing y'all on the talent show. No, honey, you left before that. You left. You left the summer of '90. I remember when you left. Okay. And, and we oh, we were we did the show '90 going into '91. Okay. Okay, I was going, yeah. Cause I was gonna say, man, I was really so doggone talented, dog. Oh my God, what? But I saw, but I, but I, I saw you at the 1988 talent show. Yeah, because it was me and Eos. That was when Eos did. Eos didn't have a studio or nothing at that point. And 
It was me and her on stage, and I remember Linda Ellis, after we got done kicking off floor and the beat went off, Linda Ellis mm-hmm. jumped on her chair. Remember like skin Linda Ellis, she was white as heck, she was real Well, you know what, I, 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 consider, I consider Linda Ellis to be a sister of mine, yep, she's on Facebook. Man, that's my girl, man, that's what she can fight too. support our stuff. You know, it was the art of it. The art of it was the art of it. Yeah, I made a little money I made a little money here and there later on, but I love the art and I love like teaching and I love just just you people give you love, you give it back, you know, that's what it's about. Right. You know, and, and you know, and like I'm I'm grateful for the fans that support my stuff. I'm grateful for them because uh, without your fans liking your stuff, you're nothing. Right. You're nothing. And you're nothing without your fans. Like, you're nothing without your fans, and your fans have to understand when you come from humble beginnings. And I'm going to put this in at the end of this, and we're going to continue this conversation with the majestical Eric F on another episode because I just don't have enough time to do everything I want to do right now. You'd be listening for the next 10 hours, at least. But the reason why I do what I do is so that I can promote how to do it yourself, you guys. You guys do not have to go out there and depend on no big name artists to do nothing for you. You can do it yourself with a laptop and a microphone Check this out. Mm, yeah. Friday night. 
I just got paid, y'all. Trying to go to a hearty spot to have a ball. Yeah. Step in the bar with the Ike wear shirt. Word. See a chocolate sister, thick legs, mini skirt. Yeah. Got the crazy look, like she ready to flirt. So I'm ready to go to the dance floor to do my work. Uh-huh. But I'ma sit down my sweet drink first. Yeah. So I can feel smooth while I'm putting in work. Grinding and moving without a sober doubt. Nope. Grinding and moving without a sober doubt. Uh-uh. Grinding and moving without a sober doubt. Uh-huh. I whisper in your ear while I'm feeling you out. Feeling you out uh-huh. to my ladies in the US. I'm feeling you out. Uh-huh. 